If you enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to share us and subscribe so you don't miss our next show. We'd love to talk with you again. A person climbed the fence to get onto Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s property in California last Wednesday. The 28-year-old real estate agent was arrested around 9.30 a.m. and issued an emergency protective order. Jonathan Mocked was released around 5.45 p.m. the same day, only to return and be detained by Kennedy's security contractors. The security company had notified the Secret Service about the specific obsessed individual multiple times in recent months and provided communications Mock has sent to Kennedy. In a Friday interview with Fox News, Kennedy said Mock has sent him 435 emails in a three-month period, including one last week, which was about me getting a bullet in my brain. Kennedy has twice requested Secret Service protection and was denied both times. When Kennedy first spoke with the Secret Service, he was told, yes, this is a no-brainer, and that it would move very quickly and our first interview would be in 14 days. 88 days later, Kennedy received the rejection letter from Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. After that, Kennedy was at an event when a man dressed as a U.S. Marshal tried to approach him in the green room and was stopped by security when they noticed his badge was too shiny. I'm not sure what that says about the Marshal Service's policy on flair, but it was a lucky observation, because when searched, it was discovered the assailant was carrying, quote, two shoulder holsters with loaded pistols and a backpack with additional magazines and a knife and a number of other weapons. This incident prompted Kennedy to request Secret Service protection for a second time, but he says they denied it immediately. The Secret Service guidelines say protection more than one year prior to the general election should only be granted in extraordinary case-by-case circumstances in consultation with the committee, based on threat assessments and other factors. Well, the Secret Service's own report states Kennedy's family history, perceived controversial stance on vaccines, and his status as a challenger to President Biden for the Democratic presidential nomination elevates his risk for adverse attention, so why no protection? RFK feels this may be politically motivated, stating, The thing I worry most about is the politicization of our law enforcement agencies. Kennedy said, It's disturbing. The apparent weaponization of the Secret Service while Biden provides protection to his family members and political allies, and then he denies it to political rivals. As the nephew of President John F. Kennedy, who was assassinated in Dallas November 22, 1963 by... Nah, nope, not getting pulled into that argument and the son of Robert F. Kennedy, who was making his own bid for the presidency when he was assassinated in Los Angeles on June 5, 1968 by, well, at least we know the shooter, but there are some theories on his motivation, and that is another bunny hole I'm not going down. Anyway, it's easy to see the reasons for RFK Jr.'s concerns. The two incidents thus far add real weight to his call for Secret Service protection. What will the Biden administration say if somebody actually gets to Kennedy, despite his pleas for Secret Service protection that has thus far been denied by the administration of Biden, his rival? If you want to defuse Kennedy's assertions, give him the protection he asked for before something bad happens. Kennedy had been challenging Biden in the Democratic primary before announcing he would run as an independent, leaving three-time candidate Marianne Williamson trying to secure the Democratic nomination. Based on her performance thus far, with her initial 9% when she entered the race tumbling to 4%, according to Real Clear Politics, she does not present a real challenge. Her fundraising has been very weak, and her campaign is around $350,000 in debt. 
She has shed staff and failed to pay them, and a group of angry former staffers wrote a letter that stated, based on our observations and our interactions with her, Marianne Williamson has demonstrated no intention of becoming president, no strategy to win this election, and no ability to effectively lead this country or follow through on her progressive platform. So, Kennedy is gone from the Democratic primary at least, and Williamson is self-destructing. It's done, right? Not so fast. Democratic House member Dean Phillips of Minnesota has announced his candidacy for the Democratic nomination. Who? Exactly. Well, this heir to the Phillips Distilling Company, a spirits producer in Minnesota, and grandson of Pauline Phillips, who wrote columns under the pseudonym Dear Abby, won his House seat in 2018. This broke a nearly six-decade run of GOP occupancy. Phillips has won re-election twice and styles himself as more moderate and suburban-focused than his increasingly liberal Minneapolis District 3 would suggest. Phillips is a member of the Bipartisan Problem Solvers Caucus and has in the past said that most of his closest friends on the Hill are Republicans. During the January 6, 2021 attack on the Capitol by a mob of Trump election deniers, Phillips was notable for shouting at Arizona Republican Paul Gosar, an election denier, this is because of you. The announcement that he was running was not exactly out of the blue. Phillips was saying back in July regarding Biden running again that, I think the country would be well served by a new generation of compelling, well-prepared, dynamic Democrats to step up. At the time he said that, CNN polling found 75% of Democratic and Democratic-leaning voters wanted the party to nominate someone other than Biden. In August this year, Phillips also called for term limits for members of Congress after Mitch McConnell froze during a press conference. If you haven't seen that video, I encourage you to seek it out. It was very disturbing. In a recent interview with CBS Mornings, Phillips said, I think President Biden has done a spectacular job for our country. Phillips continued, but it's not about the past. This is an election about the future. He cited the alarming polling numbers showing Biden and Trump painfully close in polling for a hypothetical rematch of 2020 and said, I will not sit still and not be quiet in the face of numbers that are so clearly saying that we're going to be facing an emergency next November. Phillips has filed his paperwork to be on the ballot in New Hampshire, a ballot Joe Biden will not be on. Why is a sitting president not on the ballot in New Hampshire? Good question. Here's why. December of last year, the Democratic National Committee voted to make South Carolina the first primary of 2024, bypassing Iowa and New Hampshire. New Hampshire refused to move their primary date back, citing their state law. So the DNC stripped New Hampshire of its delegates, and Joe Biden will not appear on the New Hampshire ballot, but can be written in. So essentially winning New Hampshire, for Democrats at least, means nothing. One person argues that it could mean something. Steve Schmidt. Who is Steve Schmidt? It's reported he is advising Dean Phillips. Schmidt is a former GOP strategist who famously advised then-candidate John McCain to pick an unknown governor of Alaska, Sarah Palin, as a last-ditch effort to save the floundering campaign. He also co-founded the Lincoln Project, a centrist, conservative, staunch anti-Trump PAC. The other co-founder of the Lincoln Project, Rick Wilson, however, has called Dean Phillips a suicide bomber and questioned the sincerity of his campaign, calling it a scampaign. He further indicts the candidate, saying he was a no-chill Biden fanboy, snapping selfies with the president on Air Force One in 2021. Phillips' fellow House Democrats are similarly confused by his run, with Washington Rep. Pramila Jayapal saying on NBC's Meet the Press recently, Everyone's got the right to run, but I'm sorry, I have no idea what he's running on that is different from what President Biden is running on. She's not wrong. 
538 database of Phillips' voting record does indeed show he has voted with the president 100% of the time. With the next and last Republican debate scheduled for November 8th in Miami, there have been some developments in the field of candidates. There are only five candidates currently qualified for that debate, but two, Donald Trump and Vivek Ramaswamy, are not attending. Trump is a hard no, while Ramaswamy is a likely no. Unless Vivek changes his mind and or Tim Scott can meet the donor threshold set up by the Republican National Committee, there will be three candidates on the stage that night, Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, and Chris Christie. Asa Hutchinson, Doug Burgum, and Mike Pence will definitely not be there, having met none of the requirements. Candidate Mike Pence made an announcement Saturday at a Las Vegas event sponsored by the Republican Jewish Coalition. He will end his campaign, saying, this is not my time. The former vice president likely never had a chance. He was in the unenviable position of being hated by both sides. As Donald Trump's running mate, he bore the scarlet letter of being part of that administration for those that hated Trump. As the same person, but seen as the one who betrayed Trump by certifying the 2020 election results as president of the Senate, he was outright hated by the pro-Trump people. In fact, there was a chant among the rioters that stormed the Capitol that day, Hang Mike Pence. To his credit, Pence didn't run, but stayed and did his constitutional duty. Pence was never able to find a way to stand on the good parts of the past administration while divorcing himself from the bad. He did his best to blame Trump for turning his back on conservative principles and outright indicted his former boss's behavior on January 6th, saying anyone that puts themselves over the Constitution should never be President of the United States, and anyone who asks someone else to put them over the Constitution should never be President of the United States again. It is a well-crafted statement, but not enough to counter the lukewarm support he had, never breaking out of the single digits. Donald Trump is still demanding Pence endorse him and said, because I had a great successful presidency and he was the vice president, he should endorse me. I chose him, made him my vice president, but people in politics can be very disloyal. I've never seen anything like it. So far, Pence has not endorsed anyone. Pence may have something to endorse for Trump after all, but it won't be his candidacy. It might be his guilt. Legal analyst Danny Cavallos on NMSNBC Sunday said the likelihood of Pence taking the stand in Trump's Department of Justice case on the January 6 riots is high to almost a certainty. With Pence dropping out of the running to face his former boss in the Republican primaries, Pence has free time to see him in court. On Newsweek Sunday, a former federal prosecutor, Niyama Ramani, said Pence has already flipped on Trump and he's going to be the star witness in the election fraud cases. Pence was the target of the fake elector scheme. He's already testified before the grand jury and has said publicly that he told Trump that what he and his lawyers wanted to do was unconstitutional. Nikki Haley's star continues to rise, earning a Wednesday endorsement from New Hampshire Governor Judd Gregg, saying our party needs someone who can win and lead. Nikki Haley is that person. The state agrees, with her poll numbers rising sharply after a September CNN poll that showed Haley leading Biden 49% to 43% in a hypothetical contest between them. This was credited to her broader support among college-educated white voters than her fellow candidates. With her numbers now eclipsing rival and former number two candidate Ron DeSantis, he has gone on the attack. His claims that Haley supported the 2015 Middle East refugee resettlement have made it to her events. When challenged on this this past weekend, Haley reiterated her opposition then and now and wrapped it up with, God bless Ron DeSantis because he continues to try and bring up this refugee situation, adding that it's what happens when a campaign starts to spiral out. 
Voters in the Granite State are seeing ads on their TVs run by DeSantis's Never Back Down Super PAC, talking about her support for bringing Chinese companies into South Carolina as governor, and that she supports bringing refugees from Gaza now. The latter has been proven false by both conservative and liberal news sources, but the DeSantis campaign continues to push that narrative. GOP strategists are suggesting that this is the DeSantis campaign responding to his dropping poll numbers, with Patrick Griffin saying, Ron DeSantis would pick a fight with his shoes if he thought it would create some oxygen for him in this race. Newly elected Speaker Mike Johnson promised Sunday to put forward a $14.5 billion aid package for Israel later this week. The Biden administration was hoping for a combined package of funding for both Israel and Ukraine, but the Speaker has been firm that he will not bundle them together. The Democratic-controlled Senate also wants the two funding packages linked, which might create a battle between the two ends of Capitol Hill. Johnson has said he supports aid to Ukraine but needs conditions on it. Johnson seems to have his leadership team on the same sheet of music, with Majority Leader Steve Scalise and Majority Whip Tom Emmer, both former Speaker candidates, organizing members on the Sunday conference call. He has also said the Israel aid package will be fully paid for, according to two people on the call. There are also plans being discussed to move legislation targeting Iranian oil sales and reimposing sanctions on Iran. Joe Biden has a strange ally in this, though. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, who said on Fox News last Sunday that I'm generally supportive of the president's approach here and viewing this as a worldwide problem. McConnell has resistance from some GOP senators already, with Senators Rick Scott of Florida and Roger Marshall of Kansas sending a letter Friday to the leadership saying, these are two separate conflicts, and it would be wrong to leverage support of aid to Israel in an attempt to get additional aid for Ukraine across the finish line. Seven other GOP senators joined in support of the letter. Mike Lee of Utah, Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, Cynthia Lummis of Wyoming, Mike Braun of Indiana, J.D. Vance of Ohio, Marshall Blackburn of Tennessee, and Josh Hawley of Missouri. Last Thursday, Senator Mike Lee joined Senators Roger Marshall and Ted Cruz in introducing the Israel Supplemental Appropriations Act as a counter to the $106 billion combined Israel-Ukraine funding the Biden administration is requesting. The proposed GOP-Israel-specific bill is priced at $14.3 billion, very close to the amount in the new House bill being discussed. The Senate bill cuts all aid to Gaza and prohibits any redirection of funds to Ukraine. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please take the time to leave a comment here and on Podchaser. It helps us know how we're doing and what topics you'd like to hear in the future. Have a great day.